Thank you all for making it. We're going to be the number one media conglomerate in the world. The key here is act like a happy family. We're the Osmonds, and I'm Daddy fucking Warbucks, okay? Good, fine. Nobody... Hi, Jeannie. Hi, Mike. How, How are, are you? How are things? Pretty good. Feels like it's been a while. I know we missed a week, Jeannie. Sorry about that. That's all right. We were both busy. We have 60 your... dangerous minutes to eat up, Jeannie. <laughs> so everything's back to normal in Santa Rosa, mm -hmm. California? Pretty much. It was never really not normal. It was just the power company taking this proactive step to shut off the power to try to prevent fires. So how long was that off for you guys? Three days. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah. So sucked. no power at all? Nope, no power. I, got my, I was making coffee on my barbecue grill. Wow, wow. The whole <laughs> county? Like the whole county? Well, not county? every single place, but almost 800,000 people had power off. Oh, I know how that is. It's hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we've lived through that. So, all right. Glad you're on the other side. Well, Jeannie, we missed a good episode, 209. We're, we won't go grinding our way through it. We'll just go, we'll just summarize it. But do you remember anything super special about? Well, I loved Tom's testimony before Congress. <laughs> yeah. And Kendall did great, you know. It was just setting everything up for the final terrible awful that happened. So they basically had two rooms of people watching this testimony, right? The the A team and the B team. Right, 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 right. Yeah, it was funny. It was it was grueling. It was tense and funny. I thought. Like it always is, you know. Really, the show always is tense and funny. <laughs> yeah, you know, a couple episodes ago, like midway through the season two, I was telling you, you know, eh, it's kind of gotten, I like season one better. It's kind of gotten stale a little bit. Mm. But man, from six through 10, they each one got better and better and better with higher stakes after each episode was over. It's really reached just, quite a pinnacle. Just amazing. And they just kept it right up to the very end. You know, right to the very last minute. It's just so superb. I can't say enough. Visually, it's so fun to watch. The tight shots on the actors' faces. You know, I mean, they're exquisite. The way they render all their feelings and all the complications of every fraught word and thought that's passing between them all. Yeah, so, so in 209, they testified and said what they had to say. Um, and they kind of failed at that testimony, and so they had to have Shiv go after this woman. Right. And Rhea decided to opt out. And, uh, the, and Roman was going after the money in Central Asia somewhere. Right. Turkey? Somewhere in Turkey? Turkey, Roman, you know, Logan put his you know, hands on Roman's shoulders and said, you know, son, you're it. Go get it. And they played take They played Mary Fuck Kill from the doorstep of disaster. Right. <laughs> so that was basically Edward O. Edward, is it Edward or Eduardo? I don't remember. Roman's friend honest. or connection, Eduardo, took them over to Turkey. And his connection kind of fell into this rebellion where the president's daughter's husband or something 
I think we get more into it in 210 so we can talk about it a little bit. But the, the investor they thought didn't come through and they found the secondary potential $10 billion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they made their pitch and they got away. But what was the um, what was that about? The whole terrorist thing holding up in the hotel. I think it was a government, like the either the government or some foe of the government grabbed all the financiers because they were the dirty money running businesses in Turkey. Essentially, I think I think grabbed all the financial people at the best hotel and just. Yeah, either arrested them or made them do what they wanted them to do. And uh, they wanted the the Roy clan because they could spin the news to whatever they wanted, I guess. Right. You mean the people they were trying to make the deal with to take them private? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, Waystar, Waco, Roy Star. Right. Right. Um, But still, I have more questions. I still have more questions about that. Even even at the end of two ten, about why Roman didn't like the deal. Like, did we can get into it when we go into two ten? But okay. did right. Roman think that they weren't really going to pony up the ten billion, or did he think the ten billion came with so many strings that it was? He thought it wasn't real money. He thought they weren't going to pony up. Okay, it was all talk. You know, big talk on coke. It just wasn't going to be there really when push came to shove. And it was too big of a risk to, vi- to to fail, you know. It was too big of a shot to take. Okay. To not make it. And he just felt like in his bones, you know, and that's, that's supposedly what he's good at, reading the room, those kind of social instincts. And that's really what he was riding it on. Yeah, it's pretty interesting how Roman's grown up over the last few episodes. I liked it. I liked it. Uh, what else? I'm scram- scrambling through my notes just really quickly. Greg was worried about his 250 million, and they made a little fun of him, like, "Oh, you, you get five million? That's like poor man's rich money. You can't live on five million. You know what? You know, scenes like that—they have to be so much fun to film, don't you think? That that kind of banter, just having that kind of banter, and even if they're improving some of it, like they do. Oh, yeah, and they're going to all these cool locations, and they're screwing around on yachts, and it's got to be a total thrill. Just amazing, right. Uh, I had one last question at the end of 209. I typed, why does Logan even still, does he even still want Rhea? I don't know, you know, I mean, I just. You think we're done with her? I think we're done with her. I think okay. we're done with her. I do. He wants Marsha back. Yeah, well, what happened to Marsha? Well, let's get into 210, because yeah, 210 yeah. will be able to cover some of this. So, Jeannie, you were right. In 210, this is not for tears. Uh, it's Kendall. It's Kendall's the skull sacrifice, not Tom. I think that they were both equally, you know, neck and neck to the finish line. Oh, I don't think so. I don't think Tom was ever really in consideration. I think Tom was just, he's such a B actor compared to Kendall. So why did he, okay, well, let's get to it. We'll get to it. We'll go scene by scene on this one. I'm still having a hard time understanding Shiv. 
Shiv thinks with a Shiv mind, and it's hard for me to understand her. You mean a Shiv mind, meaning? About her sexual proclivities, about her business needs, about her being a daughter to Logan, all of it. It's it's mysterious. Right. Okay, so it's all about her. She's got Tom as sort of her side piece up until, you know, the moment when he wasn't in this episode. But, um... Yeah, no, I think she just is yearning for the top spot and for her daddy's approval. Well, to this episode, I thought Tom was kind of a side piece part bit bit actor for her, whatever she needs. But I now I think she really loves him. Well, she conveyed something very different, didn't she? I think it was surprising. I think it was a reveal for sure. Yeah, she seemed to um, react she seemed to react in that moment with, you know, extreme hurt, shockingly so, right? She seemed wounded by what he said to her, like just like like he um, just really wounded her with those words when, when he was clearly so wounded and wavering himself. It was an interesting reaction for her. I, I thought, thought she finally felt some of his pain, though, like she, she had empathy for his feelings for once. I, I couldn't tell. Yeah, maybe she did. Maybe it was empathy or maybe it was maybe it was feeling hurt by what he was saying about how he isn't happy with her. He's you know, he doesn't know if he's gonna be less happy with her or without her, that kind of thing, you know. I mean, yeah, I don't know if she felt like, oh my gosh, I've really been hurting you, although she definitely she definitely went all the way for him. Yeah, something about this, the more sadness with you than the sadness I'd feel without you, something like that. And and he just, God, the way he, the way the, he, he, the actor, just laid that out. They were both so good in that scene. They cannot really lose best. Tom. They cannot lose that character. He has to no, endure the whole he's series. he's the best. No, he's the best. They're not going to lose any of them. I hope not. I mean, we start out this episode with Greg on the stand, and... <laughs> He's stammering his way through testimony, and the, and Evis tells him, just speak in the common tongue, dude. Just talk like a regular person. <laughs> and Greg says, yes, if it is to be, so it shall be. I shall be answering in the affirmative fashion. Right. <laughs> it's very funny. It's very funny. But, so, he's, not, but he's not stupid. No, no, he's got he's got something cooking, and there's a little bit of mystery to how he gets together with Kendall at the yeah, end. Yeah, we too. need to we need to parse that out a little bit. I'm curious what so, you think. So, Hugo, after that, Hugo and Logan are talking about reviewing names while Greg is testifying, and they have actually two columns of names. Um, and it's the leadership meat that they need to feed to the hungry sharks, Jeannie. R- right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Logan's worried about Roman. He asks if he's safe, and Hugo tells him that he is, and gets a call from Philip Layton, Layton, Philippe Layton. Right. I guess is a big shareholder, and uh, he tells Logan that the head that they all want as shareholders is his head. Uh huh. <laughs> Logan gives the best. Uh huh. The the most non-committal. I don't know if I've even really registered what you said, kind of, uh-huh. And he did it with the guy on the phone. Mm, mm-hmm. 
Well, he's calculating. He's always sure. taking in information and calculating. But I, I love when he does that at every turn. His, that's his, his line to calculate and to think and to delay and to not answer. I don't think Logan is ever horrified or scared. I think he's, I think he just plugs it into his equation and makes it part of his war strategy. I agree. I agree. I've never seen him scared. Although we did see him missing Marsha. Yeah, Marsha's a Marsha's an Achilles heel to him. Yep, he's Kryptonite. looking for her. So while this is all going on, Hugo says, "Hey, you know, uh, Greg might be talking himself onto your list because Greg's doing this." testimony while this is all going on so he says greg might be talking himself onto your list there buddy you want a coffee like just let's get on with this <laughs> so funny throw him on with carolina he said and there you have a nice little package so we get some yacht porn genie this big four-story yacht what did you think of that four stories i counted them too i stopped and counted them it was amazing i loved it how many feet is that boat that ship as greg says Oh, I don't know. Big. Just, wow. I mean. Big and shiny. Loved it. It's contrived as a vacation, but it's a chopping block for the head, whatever head gets chosen. Totally. Somewhere in the Mediterranean off of Italy. I think they were in Croatia filming, as I recall, reading about it. Okay. So, yeah, somewhere over there. Gorgeous. Because they, no, they, they talk about Venice, but it doesn't smell as bad as Venice. So Right. I was assuming Italy. <laughs> they ride up in the typical Roy motorcade that we come to love. I come to love the, the, the motorcade, always at the beginning when they're arriving somewhere. <laughs> yeah, it's like tanks rolling over the, the desert in World War II, the way they always show up on the scene. Um, but it uh, starts out with kind of with Connor and Willa considering the play. And right. she, she's afraid to read the reviews. I guess it's been two weeks, and, and the play's been in action for two weeks. And uh, she doesn't want to read reviews for, or she doesn't want to read the reviews for t- the two weeks that they're going to be away. Maybe that's it. But but Connor needs to read them because he's got to see whether or not he's financially ruined. Right. Yeah, and I think he probably knows what's coming. Um, while that's going on, Tom and Shiv are talking about their three-way plan for three-way sex with somebody on the yacht. So, yeah, we didn't see her set that up. It was already set up. And I'm just, it's so surprising how cavalier she is about that with him, too, as he sort of squirms, tries to get out of it. While, well, he, while he, fake, he fake likes, he's faking that he likes it. Like, he's faking right. anticipating it. And then, you know, like centimeter by centimeter, he's backing away from it. It's hilarious. It's hilarious and horrible. I would hate that relationship. Well, of course. <laughs> but I love watching him squirm. I love watching him play these scenes with her. It's just so good. He's just so, he really just portrays the right mix of anxiousness and vulnerability and cockiness like right, false cockiness right, right so he's making fun of marcia's re refit of the boat and where is marcia genie what what happened to marcia marcia has stomped off because shiv says oh she kind of refers to something there gaudy and talks about well that's her way of cutting up dad's ties you know like you would back in the day when the husband cheats on the wife she Throws all her stuff out on the front yard and cuts up all his ties, right? But what? What? So she left the. She's left the relationship. 
Well, it seems like she's gone from the relationship. She's done something gaudy with the boat. She kind of gives a nod to some gaudy piece of art or something standing there and tosses it off to, yeah, (laughs) that's her way of cutting up his ties. And then later when he's looking for her, he calls and asks for her. Did she show up? No, she didn't show up. So, yeah, she's gone, but sounds like he's hopeful, so maybe she hasn't, like, filed for divorce. So Kendall shows up with Naomi and Greg. I don't know why the three of them are together, but they kind of show up at the same time. And we learn about Greg's toenails, Jeannie. Which is really, you know, just a lovely visual. Sails out, nails out. (laughs) Did you know that was a thing that you don't wear shoes on a deck of a boat? Well, no, I guess I didn't. But I can completely support that with a beautiful teakwood deck like that. Yeah, so what do you wear? You just go barefoot? I guess. Would you, you be know, a, would, would you be ashamed of having your shoes off on a boat in front of strangers, Jeannie? I'm always ready. I live in Florida, <laughs> don't forget that. I'm always yeah, ready true. with a pedicure. <laughs> You wonder how Greg got so off, kind of went so astray in that in that sense, huh? Well, he's new to the whole scene, right? And he's never been on such a big ship. Right? I know, but he's kind of put, he's kind of kept together. He's well-kept, well-kept, well-kept. He's, he's well-kept or kept now, well-kept now, more so in recent times. As he's, you know, finding his way and getting his promotions and getting better styled and his haircut looks better. But, you know, a guy has to work his way into regular pedicures. So he's, not totally, pedicures? he's not totally removed from the mascot costume from season not one. Not yet. Not well, you know, that, the mascot costume might be a stretch, but regular pedicures. How about you? Let's ask you. No, I don't. I've never, I've never in my life had a pedicure or a manicure for that matter. But I take care of my my toes look good. All right, because you know it just it's important. Let's just say it like that. Nobody wants to be caught with a benign fungus. All right. I wouldn't. I would Let's... never have a cosmetician <laughs> feel ill after looking at my feet like the one did with Greg. <laughs> that girl looked like she's going to go throw up. She's probably used to it. All right, well, Connor and Willa, Willa talk a little bit more about the play, and Connor's really kind of getting caught up in the play, but he's also interested in the memes that people have put together from his fist bump, his fist right. bump. It, which is sort of funny, you know, the way there have been so many memes about the show floating around, you know, just in the cultural conversation about the show and sort of a, a meme within a meme in the show. And then, that meme, that fist, that fist pump came from the part of the episode we missed was when Kendall kind of killed it at the testimony. Right, right. He was back there. Yes! <laughs> but the iPad got tossed overboard, Jeannie, when Willow read about the play's reviews. He said, don't read the headline. Don't read the headline. I guess I'd love to know what the headline said after she read it. Roman and his team show up, and at first it appears totally successful, but then Jeannie Roman shares kind of the reality of it. And like we said, he's getting more mature. He's he's admits that he was actually in fear for his life, even amid his jokes. Um, and then they're going to talk about the financial doings later, but he kind of admits that he was fearful. He doesn't cover it up. 
Yeah, there's a there's a new kind of sobriety to him, you know, in terms of being just sober. His personality was just a little more sober about everything. You know, they were all kind of responding to him the way they usually do. Yuck, yuck, yuck. And yeah. I thought it was interesting that it was paradise on this boat for a while, but it was it was slotted in with like really hard strategy like hard nail strategy down to the you know grinding grit strategy with this paradise it's got to be like the worst kind of paradise come come aboard this boat while we wait to decide if we're going to push you overboard and you're going to go serve prison time quite quite likely you know just a horrible thing and to put them through that for a couple of days, right? While and, he... and a couple of people literally did get pushed, not overboard, but pushed off the boat and literally had to leave the boat to, you know, you're thrown out, you're out of the party. Well, he voluntarily got off that boat. I mean, I don't mean literally, but he kind of pushed himself off, right? When he was so mad at opposing, when he came to odds with Roman about the deal. That was Laird, right? Yeah. I had some trouble with names in this one because I was, you know, I think, okay, there's Jamie, there's Laird, there's the other guy. And I'm like, Carl, you know, I'm like, okay, it's Jamie Laird is his name. Jamie Laird. I I had to look that up, too, because (laughs) Logan called him Jamie and everyone else calling him Laird. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. Right. So, yeah, Jamie Laird. But the others are Carl. And then Colin was Logan's bodyguard. Carl's the either the attorney or the finance guy and Laird is one or the other one's finance one's the attorney right yeah Jamie Laird is the banker and Carl is the CFO of Waystar Waco and Jerry is general counsel but um, when when Roman recapped that we're not quite there yet in this episode but when Roman recapped what happened that night with the finance people from Turkey he says it in a very difficult way to parse it was tricky to figure out but we can we can try to pick it apart when we get to okay, it. Okay, yeah. But um, Roman, when he first comes aboard, he asks Kendall about the hearings and um, says, I heard you did good. And Shiv says, yeah, he did great. Um, and then Roman says, but I also heard Tom farted in his shit. He heard about right. Tom's kind of blowing it. Uh, and Tom says, hey, I dead-catted it. I did it to draw attention away. Okay, from- that was hilarious. All right, no, I just love <laughs> I love that. What's dead catting? And he sort of explains it. He's always sort of treading water with everyone else. It's just so funny to me. It's a pretty, it's a funny attempt at salvation for himself. It's like he's throwing himself a lifeline. But it's, it's plausible. It's about 3% to 5% plausible. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, it made me take a second go, mm, me, would that ever work? Like, it wasn't just a total throwaway. Like, I had to think about it for a half a second. No, I don't think he was really dead canning it. I think he thought about it after. <laughs> don't you? Oh, yeah. I know. Um, it's but stupid. But it, it was the whole, it was the whole, um, the whole episode with everybody posturing one after the next. You know, the, it was like two days of that. Can you imagine really working someplace where you'd have to go to things like that constantly? You know, every get-together with Logan Roy's leadership team is a potential bore on the floor or chopping block moment. 
Well, I'm wondering how much of this was just spontaneous combustion of people among each other or how much of it was planned by Logan. To like he's got the pot and the stove and all the ingredients and he throws a little bit at a time in at a time. I, I think he did plan it like that. Just to see what would come up, to see who, you know, to see who the killers were even. Yep, I think so too. So one thing we do know now, Rhea is out and the big speculation is who is in. Um, Sprinkled in among all that is Greg getting his feet examined. And Roman actually, again, maturely, quite maturely, proposes a truce. Like, hey, once we get through all this, can we just all talk to each other normally? And the answer to that is no, in, we can't. In falsetto voices by Shiv and Ken. Which is really sad because that's the moment that I wrote down. Right there, they could have taken a different road. They could have come together, put their heads together, and come up with a different path to take, you know, to steer the ship in a different direction. But they they couldn't or didn't. Well, they have the makings of quite a dream team if they would ever just get their shit together. Because they all offer things that the other two-thirds of it lack individually. Exactly. And it was just that moment, I think, if they would have said, you know, yeah, let's, let's just have a real moment. If they would have just sort of responded, it could have happened. I feel like it really could have happened. So the, heli- it, it the, the helicopter shows up with Logan, and Shiv says, we're under attack from the gunship as the helicopter lands. And Logan wants an immediate, like two steps off of the helicopter, he wants an immediate update from Roman, Jamie, and Carl. And um, so we'll remember Roman is Roman, and then Jamie's the banker from outside the company, who's kind of a in-the-pocket type of banker. He's, he's essentially, he's probably there, they are probably his biggest and only client. And then Carl's the CFO, and those are the two guys that went with Roman to Turkey. Right, and so he some, he gets off, hello, hello, let's go, boom. You know, that, as soon as that as soon as that helicopter descends, you can just feel the tension, can't you? <laughs> oh, yeah. The, the way they all sort of, oh, you know, boom, boom, boom. It's just like, dang. You, you could kind of ignore it until that big bird came out of the sky, and here he comes, and everything's It was the gone. gunship landing, just like she yeah. said. So, um, so here's what happened in Turkey. So <laughs> Logan, I don't know which, which of this is kidding and which is real, but... Apparently, Logan talked to somebody in Washington and got literally a U.S. warship sent over. I'm not even sure that's a joke, Jeannie. I could believe that actually happening. That's what they said. I mean, that's what, yeah, that's what I noted, too. Yeah, you know, and, and um, Roman sort of blew it off. Oh, it was probably just there anyway. No big deal. And then he says, they gave us the Merlot waterboard. Right. <laughs> um, and then Eduardo was the original source of the money, but the president's daughter's husband is now the key guy for the $10 billion. $10 billion is the number they're after, $10 billion. Right, correct. Um, and Eduardo was shuffled off to the side, and that was the threat at the time when the military guys kind of sent the, what was the bodyguard's guy's name? Connor? Was it Con- Colin? Colin. Um, was he the guy that um, helped Kendall during the wa- car crash into the water? Yes. Yeah. Well, okay. I remember afterwards he came and he briefed him. Okay, this is what we did. This is what was found. We 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 messed up the scene. You're in the clear. No one knows. Remember, he took him in the room. Right. And Kendall was like, okay. 
Okay, you know, uh, Logan sent him in. Okay, go, go talk to. So, um, which episode, first or second? In the midst of all that upheaval and revolution and whatever was going on with the guys in Turkey, they got somehow they got an hour to pitch this daughter's husband key guy, and they got them interested in the deal. Right. And Jamie is super hot to do the deal, the banker, because he's going to make a ton of money on it. And Roman right. starts to slow it down. Yeah. Um, I guess the new guy's name is Zudal or Zunal. I couldn't quite catch the new daughter's husband's name, but something like that. Yeah, Roman's kind of squirming while Laird is really, you know, put, painting a rosy picture on the whole opportunity. Yeah, he's like, yeah. He did say it, but, you know, there were drugs, alcohol, lots of, just lots of loose talk involved in it that he just didn't get the feeling that at the end of the day, it wasn't going to come through for him. Yeah, he says, Jamie, uh, Roman says, they said yes, but if it's wrong, we're all fucked. We don't, people don't rebalance their, they want to rebalance their portfolio, but you don't do that with one huge $10 billion deal. You spread it out in a more hedged fashion over like many smaller deals which was an impressive thing to say i think to logan i mean i think logan noticed and was you know it was the right thing to say and it was probably that his instincts were right but it was an interesting moment when they you know when laird realized yeah no and uh well this is what's going to happen good luck ruining a life you know he starts realizing that if they don't if they don't go private, someone's going to jail. Roman also rats out Laird. He's, he says right in front of to Logan, he says, Laird was bleeding to Carl that all of his contacts are dying out. And if he doesn't pull off this big deal, he's going to be shuffled out and just be right. a minor advisor. Right. So he kind of talks out of school about these guys that he just risked his life with and came through on the, you know, came through the other side. Um. I don't know. That, I didn't like that about Roman. Kind of ratted out his compadres there. Well, you know, they're all ratting each other out. I think that was sort of the purpose of the gathering. Oh, that's very true coming up. You know, just, to, just to, I mean, just the whole weekend was sort of set up to, to let it, to just let it come to a, just simmer the whole thing. And they all ratted everyone out, every single one of them. Carl admits it's true, so he, he gets the opportunity to step step on Laird's neck and does it. Right. And, um, then Jamie Laird just kind of burns his own ship and bails. He didn't even fight back. I don't no, think he, he had up. to bail there, but I guess he did because he did. He was mad, but, you know, have fun ruining a life. You know, you're, you're going to call in the SEC and the Department of Justice, foreign and corrupt practices. Someone's going to jail. And then every time, you know, it always sort of cuts to Kendall across the way. You kind of see Kendall. Logan yep. looks at Kendall, you know. Here good, comes Kendall after that. Good night, sweet ladies. And he's off on the boat, off the, off right. the yacht. Right. <laughs> All right, so Logan and Kendall talk. Like you said, they um, they determine that the Central Asian money may not be quite a viable solution. And Logan kind of Logan kind of bears his soul a little bit to Kendall. He says, "Wow, I can't believe things have gone so sour." And uh, Kendall suggests Stewie. 
Right. Stewie's close by in Greece somewhere. Logan says no. Not that moment, doesn't he? Yeah. Not quite, yeah. So we saw this slide, Jamie, this big slide on the yacht. And I thought it was fun, but it was also kind of telling because I don't know if you noticed, but to me, I noticed the kids are on the slide and the adults are on the boat. Totally. Totally. They acted like little kids. And it's funny how Tom, you know, who, who can feel so vulnerable, right, earlier on, is so taunting and mean to Greg again. At the end of that slide, well, you know, you might be the one going down, holding the bag for that, you know, the way he originally intended. And again, you know, Tom, Tom, Tom participates in that whole no real person involved kind of thing, too, when he tapped Greg to get rid of the documents because he was close enough to the family, but expendable, too. Just that expendability that they all sort of have, which was just an interesting juxtaposition that he was feeling so vulnerable himself, but I guess he needs to turn around and bully someone else. Yeah, and but this subtle delineator from Jesse Armstrong, the, the writer, the creator of the show, had Tom on the slide. So the kids, the kids at the kiddie table on the slide are Greg, Tom, Connor, Will, like and all the kind of B players. Right. And the main A team is on the deck of the boat watching the kids go down the slide. You know, Roman, it's just Shiv. So, yeah, they're they're going down the slide squealing as though all of a sudden they're kind of oblivious. I don't know how anyone could have fun. I don't know how Tom even could be going down the slide like a little kid given everything that's been going on, you know, and how the tension's got to just be ratcheting up. But I guess Logan said, go have fun, and the children are doing just that. You're right. Yeah, it's Jesse Armstrong's message, really. Like, the this yacht is fun, but it's it's really the purpose of the yacht trip is serious. So the people having fun aren't part of the serious nature of what's going to happen on this yacht. Even though Tom turns on Greg and says, you might go down, your head might be on the spike, you know, have fun now. But no, you're right. I, I know what you're saying. Yeah, Greg would be Greg would be impotent without the the powerful Kendall to whom he feeds the information. Right? And Greg Correct. could never pull anything off by himself. Even though he has an important role, he's still a kid on the slide. I think. Anyway. Right. No. But I think that he's I don't know, you know, I think that at some point I wanna pinpoint I said Greg, um, Logan looks at Kendall, I wrote down, and I thought, this is when Greg starts planning. Did they already talk about talking amongst themselves? No, they didn't, about the Greg Sprinkles. You know, that was at the table when they were all going around calling each other out. We'll get to that. Yeah, not yet. I think, when when did Greg and Kendall, when did, hmm, when were those first, you know, because I'm the anyway, we'll get to that. I took a picture. I'm going to make it the the picture of our podcast, but it's this it's the list that Logan has of the right. two columns of people. I was right. trying to find it really quickly here. I can't pull it up quick enough, but that probably is pretty close to what we're trying to talk about here with this slide. Who's important and who's not power? Who's who's an important skull and who's not important enough? Right, right, um, right. But anyway, back on the boat, Shiv and Roman talk about the deal going south. 
Uh, Connor makes a quick appeal to Logan for both slanted reviews for the play and then a $100 million loan. Right. Like he's just sort of oblivious to what is really even happening, even though he had offered himself up later on. You know, he's just so concerned about his own financial viability and, you know, just that what's facing the company and what's facing Logan and how, why everyone is gathered. And I, you know, I get that it's important and it's a huge financial loss, but it just seems like such a funny timing to go to your dad for something like that. Oh, it's freaking hilarious. <laughs> you know, Connor's interested in two things, Jeannie. He's interested in his presidential run, which is totally comical. And he's interested in this play because his play is related to his his relationship with Willa. He doesn't care about the play at all. He cares about staying connected right. to Willa. Right, keeping her. Keeping her. So his, no, he could care less what happened in Turkey or what's going on with the company, with Waystar. Um, except how, as to how it might affect his future finances. And he is like the biggest kid of all, you know, just with that kind of obliviousness and the way, you know, his dad just treats him. It's, it's hilarious because he does act like that. Quit, so, your, quit your campaign. If you're fucking embarrassing me, finally said, you know, you got to yeah. quit the campaign. If you want the money, you lost $500,000 on a fake Napoleon Dick. So now we know that what he bought at that auction was fake. And and also 500000 a week for the play or a day for the play. Something like a that. A lot of money for that play. And and his house. He's his, um, oh, I can never remember the name of his estate out there in New yeah, Mexico. Yeah, it's the Napoleon name. It is, right? And it, yeah, so. Um, but it's kind of there's kind of a let them eat cake moment where where Logan sends them all off to one last day of recreation before they have to come to terms with what skull's going to be chosen for the sacrifice. Right. And they all look worried. Hell yes, they look worried. <laughs> so we see a little bit of Roman and Jerry together and um he, Roman asks her how she's feeling. She says sick. She doesn't look very well. She's probably pretty worried that she might be part of the sacrifice. And um, he asks her why Logan is doing it this way. And that was a good question. That's also a good audience proxy, I think, for us. Why is Logan doing it this way? Right. And Jerry says it's to get the whole Politburo involved and get everybody's hands bathed in blood. Yep, it's a show trial, which is exactly right. It takes a couple days to get everybody's buy-in and get everybody turning on each other. And then everybody will, yeah, have the buy-in at the end. So Jerry asked Roman kind of whisperingly, who are, who are you thinking? <laughs> and Roman just blurts out loudly to start the whole dominoes effect of everybody falling into each other. Frank, at four to one odds, I think it's Frank. He turns it into right. like a betting parlor right <laughs> and you know he's he knows he's safe roman knows he's safe so he can afford to be a little cavalier about it i think and then frank it's funny how they each turn one the the accused party then turns to the next acute trying to un genie have you I, I, this is what i would have talked about in 209 if we had time without the power outage have you ever played liars poker no i haven't Liar's poker is a game where everybody kind of sits around and you try to one-up the um, 
the bet so that the next person has to either call you or make the bet one higher. Uh-huh. So the goal of the game is to not ever and so when you when you think the person say I say five aces and you don't think I have it, you have to call me or you have to say six aces. Right. You want to always avoid that decision. You want to push it to the person on your left so they have to make the decision. Because right. if, the, if that person's wrong, then they have to lo- then they lose one of their dice or one of their dollars, whatever you're using to come up with the numbers. But so the whole point of the game is to is to kick the can down the road and get it away from you. And that's essentially what they do here in both 209 and 210 is they want don't focus your attention on me, focus it on the next guy. Right. All, all while sort of trying to be really magnanimous about it. <laughs> Right. Well, yes, I could see why you would say that. In many ways, I do make sense. But right, kicking it to the next guy was just—I thought must have been so much fun to film that, especially if they were able to do a little improv. Because you know, when they they when when those scenes were happening, both the one with Roman in them, and then when they were all actually around the table with Logan. Um, doing that, I just thought, just watching them, watching their faces, play their moments, and say those lines, I just thought, looked like so much fun. Right. Well, that's Jesse Armstrong's genius, too. He makes humor. He attaches humor to such savageness that they have. Um, So anyway, so Frank turns to Carl, and Roman blurts out, oh, he's six to one. He's a little bit longer of a shot than you, Frank. He's six to one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Interspersed with this is Naomi and Kendall about to jump off the boat on a little jet ski excursion. And Logan gets mad that Naomi's on the boat. And um, here he comes up. He's always this whole this whole um, episode. He was always sort of looming up to Kendall in the various scenes like he did here. And then he just kind of stared him down, intimidated him into getting rid of her, basically. So, Jeannie, I think this might be one of the more pivotal decision points for Kendall, probably along with the British inside that British family's kitchen where the kid drowned. Right. Where, where Logan drags Kendall in there to suffer the right. burning flames yeah. of hell. I think this is one of the points of decision that Kendall probably uses when he does what he does at the end of this episode. The way he just sort of, you know, Kendall is trying to just be real with him. She helps me, you know, it was emotional. It was hard the last time. It helps, it helps me to have her here. And he just is just so coldly staring at him and absolutely rejects all that with his very posture and answer to his son. He's just so cold. Right. He says, dad, she's a good one for me. He's like, he's appealing to him. Just let me, let me have her. (laughs) Let me be close to somebody. I wasn't properly informed. He says, right. we don't have enough supplies. <laughs> right. Did you Naomi. ask? Um, Did you ask? And then later, right, later after she leaves, he says to her, why did she leave? I told her she didn't have to go. So presumably later he talked to her, oh, well, you don't really have to leave. Yeah, right. Right. So Tom so. and Shiv are getting ready for their date, Jeannie. Uh, Tom hesitates. He might not be able to perform with all yeah, these death sentence vibes going through the air. Well, really, I mean, I just thought, right? There are death sentence vibes on that boat. Can she watch us? Maybe she can watch us from the bathroom. I haven't done a stadium gig before. 
<laughs> he's well. He says, "Can I watch?" And then he right. says, "Can she watch?" And then he says, "How about she locks herself in the bathroom and not watch?" Like, <laughs> oh, I just that's so. It was just I haven't done a stadium gig before. I just don't feel that naughty tonight. I mean, it's just such a perfect blend of hesitance and awkwardness and just vulnerability. And um, she just blows him off, you know, again. Oh, she's not going to get what she wants. Well, OK, never you mind. I'm, I'm off to talk to dad about tomorrow. Like, like, you know, like death sentence vibes. But OK, well, fuck you. You won't have a threesome. All right, then what good are you? I'm I'm done. Well, I really like this honesty that's about to come out between the two of them. Oh, it was awesome. So next we see Logan waking up alone, and he asks somebody about Marsha on the phone. And um, this is where, I, where I've already asked you, but what I thought, what I wondered what happened to Marsha and where she is and where she's going to sh- pop up next. Well, I think, yeah, I don't think maybe we're done with her since he was sort of looking for her. He must not think they're done, so maybe we're not done. I can't think we'd be done with her. I feel like there's too much to learn about her. Well, you know, and plus, doesn't she have voting stock on the board? Didn't he give her more seats last year? Yeah, and, and plus, I think a lot of people are like me: is they don't know where the hell she is, and they want the story. They're not going to just say she's gone. And that's the end of her. No, I agree. I don't think she's gone. But it shows that he is missing her on some level. Maybe. She wasn't there at the bed, and then he still called someone up. Did she come? Have we heard from her? He's definitely missing her. She's definitely, definitely important still to Logan. Hugely important right. to him. All right, so Naomi's getting thrown off the boat. She asks Kendall to come with her, and he makes up some... Stupid excuse. He has to stay through. The, not stupid, but I have to stay through this crisis. And Dad really His loves eyes. me. He just doesn't have the right method of expression. It's like he. It's like he has to defend his dad still. So I feel like he's still. Well, he's still defending his dad. Like you said, when he probably reviewed everything after he got the chop. And let's talk about that because I. I think he must have decided in the in the room. With Logan. That's interesting because there's a lot of timing issues in this episode. Like I know. when do people yeah. decide certain things? So go ahead. We'll get to that. But okay. I, I got to believe he had to decide in the room. That's what I think. Well, Logan does some interesting things. He comes out and again, he, he announces like, okay, here's the plan for the day. Um, let's just have, let's just have breakfast. Let's have a relax. And then a head, then a chat head chopping. <laughs> Good God. A swim, a relax and a head chopping, something like that. But he calls it a chat. A swim, a right. relax, and a chat. <laughs> right. Then we'll sort it all out then. And he says some interesting business stuff here, uh, Jeannie. I'm not sure I didn't take the time to research it, but he calls Ford Motor Company a time-saving collection of financial interests. Not really a company. But we exist. They Like, Ford doesn't really exist. It's a farcical combination of financial interests. But hmm. we exist. We are a family. And then he says, the obvious choice for sacrifice is me, myself. Right. Right. And everyone kind of chimes in their half-hearted, oh, no, it can't be you, Dad. It can't be you, Mr. Roy. But and they're kind it, of, I, yeah. think of, I think 90% of them would have been glad if it was him. 
Absolutely, as well it should have been him. Obviously, you know. So before we try to decipher it, Jeannie, what do you think Logan really wanted at this point? I think that he wanted to see how they would all perform and turn on each other. Number one, I think he wanted to see who the killers were in the room. And he wanted to hear everybody out, but I think he wanted, like what Jerry said, too. Because at the end, there was going to have to be blood on everyone's hands to have that core group stay together through it, right? And what, and what do you think Jesse Armstrong wanted, Jeannie? Like, do you think he wrote, do you think ever, like, he would write this and say, oh, come on, I'm going to put these characters together in this scene, and then I want to see what, I want to see how it looks and see how they react among each other. Do you think a writer ever does that? Like, let's just see how this plays. Like, he may not even know what he wants to Yes, have. I do think, because I think when you're writing something, when it comes out, it just doesn't feel right. You know, it's just that X factor that a writer has when they, when they know enough to stop, when they're satisfied with it. And I've read, I've read a lot of, about writers, you know, and they will say that the character does show themselves as they go. I don't know if it's true for Jesse Armstrong. I think he did have a trajectory for Kendall throughout the season. I did watch the end of the, the thing. They wanted it to be, leave it open-ended as to what would happen at the end. But I think they did have a trajectory for him. So, but I think just the whole scene of all those people playing out, for one, they're all brilliant actors, right? And um, just letting them turn on each other is sort of a drama and a comedy. It's a black comedy at the same time. And it keeps the tension going the whole episode, which is what he's trying to do to them anyway. So, yeah, you're right. He does yeah. at the end, at, at, in the after show, he does say he had an arc for Kendall that he had intended. But, you know, they say writers are either architects or gardeners. And I could picture Jesse Armstrong taking his handful of seeds and throwing it into the dirt of succession and just watching these people bounce off each other and coming up with the final, final. Well, I think that's what Vince Gilligan did. Is that that was the kind of writer and writer's room he ran on Breaking Bad? Because I listened to all those podcasts that he and his team did. Did you hear those? Mm-hmm. All the editors and directors and things, and you know, from season to season, how they would break it would be sort of organically. The way you said they had sort of an idea where they wanted to end up, but not exactly how they were going to get there. Right. And they just sort of went like that and see how it went and just, yeah, I mean, that's, it's hard. Writing is hard. <laughs> yeah, they it's talked about, they talk, I remember them talking about like how evil to make Walt, like how quickly evil they should make him. And at one point they talked about the guy that they had in the basement, like they were going to have, oh. they were going to have him either poison Walt Jr. or have Walter Sr. try to kill him and accidentally kill Walt Jr. or something. They were going to really make it a way more evil than it was. <laughs> it was so much better the way they did because we were able to really still kind of root for Walt with what had happened to him. It was always sort of he got himself into these awful things, these awful fixes with everyone along the way, and he had to get out of it somehow, right? 
he had the guy in the basement and oh I mean I just <laughs> every single situation was kind of fraught like that so Logan in whatever however Jesse Armstrong set it up Logan claims he needs one meaningful skull and here's the evil bidding process he sets into motion so Kendall first starts it off and he says you know general counsel is usually the most uh, suitable target sorry Jerry <laughs> and Roman right, and yeah. Logan both support her Logan's immediately no he puts his hand on her hand did you see that mm-hmm. puts his hand on her hand Roman, Roman throws Frank under the bus Roman throws Frank under the bus, and Frank immediately says, I'm a small fish. How about Carl? Carl says, right. like you said, he's very gracious. Thank you, Frank. Oh, <laughs> but I he just, turns it right watched. back to Jerry again. And uh, Tom and Connor then pile onto Jerry. And then what? this is where Roman really stands up for Jerry. And this is bullshit. It's stupid to throw a woman under the bus when we have a problem with women getting treated poorly on our cruise ships. Right. But wait, right before that happened, I made this note. Carl says, always very, you know, politely, well, we always knew there was something more between Roman, between Logan and Jerry. There was something that he said, well, we always knew. Because she says, well, Ray is gone, and doesn't Carl throw her under the bus? Well, there are some expense account irregularities. But anyway, he hints that we always knew. Well, you know, we can't. What did he say? Let's see. Carl says, I made these notes. Jerry defended. You know, there's nobody been more loyal than Jerry, says Logan. Carl says, we always knew there was something more. He hinted yeah. at. It was a hint at Logan and Jerry. We knew that already about Jerry, though, because that came up with, like, Rhea and Logan. It came up, but I don't think we really were sure. I think now we're sure. At least I am. I think, you know, the discussion was, oh, hmm, there's speculation that maybe, yeah, there was something between them way back in the day. I think I I bought into that when we first heard it. That Rhea's Rhea's obviously sleeping with Logan, and Jerry used to be the Rhea of days gone by. So, yeah, but you're right. It is confirmed that Jerry and Logan were uh, a thing. And he he does affectionately protect her. Yes. Um, Roman also affectionately protects her, even though he uses logic to protect her. Of course. Um, And then Roman (laughs) says, how about Tom? You You shat the bed with Eve's. Uh, Evis, um, but was that Roman or Kendall? Maybe that was Kendall. How about Tom? Roman? Roman, haven't we killed enough women here? So how about Tom? You're the head of cruises, you know. And then Kendall piles on. Kendall and Roman sort of pile on Tom. Yeah, right. You know, Tom works. They kept saying, you know, who works? What does it look like? And then Shiv, yeah, Tom works. Oh, it was just great. I know, I mean, but I made, just... I made a note about the shitting the bed. Kendall says something about that. He did. Yes, he did, which I thought was uh, kind of like a risky thing to even say. Knowing that calling you the shamefully shit the bed yourself. Right. At, he literally you shit the bed. Somewhere else. <laughs> um, yeah, but you're right. Shiv piles on Tom and your cruises, document destruction. You're not even family. And then Tom piles, Tom offers up Shiv. What about you? He's just, but he's sort of this, see, that's just, he's sort of flailing like a little kid. 
You know, he's sort of just sort of slapping back because there's no logical, there's really no logical answer to sacrifice Shiv. Right. He panics so quickly, Tom. (laughs) But Jerry does say maybe Shiv, maybe Shiv witness tampering. That's kind of a big thing. Yeah. um, And then Shiv all of a sudden looks a little like panicked. Like she didn't. Whoa, wait a minute. So Roman says, how about Shiv and Tom, Beauty and the Beast? Right, right, right. (laughs) (laughs) We need more. We need Tom plus some Greg Sprinkles. Greg's the perfect add-on to anybody going, actually. Right, because Tom's (laughs) not big enough by himself. Greg says, I'm more than a sprinkle. What about you, Roman? He tries to throw Roman under them. (laughs) You're a horrible person. Like, that's bad enough just because you're a horrible person. And Roman says, thanks, Toe Jam. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So Connor just sort of says, well, how about me? You know, and they got to, you know, I'll do it for $100 million. Right. Basically. Gold parachute. I was in Richelieu skulking around in the background, pulling strings the whole time. I can get rid of me as a malign influence you finally got rid of. Willa looks at him when he says that. It's so freaking funny. She looks at him like so thoroughly confused. Right. And his crazy? father looks at him like so thoroughly pitied him. Like, you know, you're just kind of a simpleton, son. Thank you. Thank you. So Logan storms off to reflect and leaves them all in this dazed circle. Of, like, I think he did exactly what he wanted to do there. Yep, he did. He just got them all roiling and attacking each other and ratcheting it up and here comes here he here he comes now to torment kendall some more yeah but he's it's it results in tormenting kendall but i think he really was looking for another option like maybe i can avoid all of this bullshit just by getting money from stewie right Um, right right so they go see him and you know they kendall says it might be humiliating um, while they're on their way to see them, Tom and Shiv are looking for coves to have this talk that they end up having. But um, before they get to that point, we do see Stewie, and uh, they pitch to him. Um, and essentially, they say they're on a knife's edge with the proxies, either Stewie and what's the other guy? Sandy? Sandy. Yeah. They may have the proxies. We may have the proxies. It's so close to call. It's on a knife's edge. And Logan says, okay, I have a one-time offer, no negotiation. Don't insult me with a counteroffer. Here it is, three board seats, including Kendall's. And they right. cut to Kendall, and he's like, what? Huh? Right. <laughs> kind of he surprised. Um, they have a, ne- a say in the next CEO. They remove the poison pill, and they conduct a strategic review, dismiss all litigation related to the proxy, and spin off the cruise division. And Stewie thinks for about three seconds and says no. I loved it. He's not afraid, Jeannie. He he knows he has the proxy sway already. They they all just need a little bit more money, and he can offer them that. And they and they he knows he's kind of got the the votes. Right. And Kendall starts to you know give him the litany of threats and insults, and he the way he deflected that was just so masterful. I I love I love him in scenes with Kendall when they when they parry like that. Yeah, it just seems so. It seems so spontaneous, right? Yeah, you're kind of a fan. Stewie's a fa- you're a fan of Stewie's, huh? I'm just a fan of the dynamic that he brings to the scene. 
I like his, I don't know what it is, but I really am a fan of him and Tom just watching them in their scenes. I wish I had the words, but I just don't. But I just think he just, it feels very um, just organic somehow. He's super intelligent and he's super, not just smart, but he's witty. Like he's quick witty. He's witty. He's suave. He's worldly. He's funny. Yeah, he's a pretty cool character. He doesn't do drugs. He can party, you know, but he knows when to turn it off. He's not an addict like Kendall. Right. What what was he doing? They talked about it on the on the ringer that he was like cleansing his palate by sniffing rosemary or some some herbal. You know, I didn't listen to that. I didn't. I haven't listened to that yet. I did listen to the very excellent Vanity Fair podcast on the finale. Yeah, that's good too. But apparently, that's a thing. You sniff this this herb. It's maybe it's not rosemary. It's something. Well, I, he was sniffing a little bud of something, and it kind of cleanses your palate between cheese tastings. Well, I know that when you are, um, and I can offer this as firsthand, they will they will give you a sniff of coffee beans, fresh coffee beans, when you're sampling different fragrances or sniffing them or trying them on. Because after a while, you can't. So you sniff the coffee beans. There's your palate cleanser. Oh, okay. <laughs> so... Yeah. Um, so next we get Tom and Shiv with their talk. And Tom just airs it out and says, you, you toasted me. Um, Shiv claims to love him, but he tells her what's really been haunting him all along. That, And we find this is news to us, that she came up with this idea of having the open relationship on their wedding night. Yes. You don't remember that? I don't she remember hearing that it. before. Yeah, she did. She night. did it. Yep, on their wedding night. It was after they got married. She, They came and, yep, they were talking and she blurted it out and he felt railroaded into it. And then he asked about Nate. Was it him? Because remember, Greg kept trying to say, she's having an affair. And he kept saying, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. Hmm. Basically, remember? And then he said, can I kick Nate out? And she said, yeah, go ahead. And then that sort of gave him his bravado back a little bit after hearing that that's how she wanted to roll with their marriage. And then he went and kicked him out and told him to put the wine back in the bottle. Don't you remember that? I think I do now. Yeah, Nate yeah. is Evis's campaign manager. And so that was how they went after Tom on the stand in D.C. at the D.C. episode. Okay. Which was a little bit, you know, I'm sure that there was a little bit of squirminess And Nate kind of put the screws on Tom through Evis with that, too. I just think that there was, that was sort of laced in. Yeah, it's funny how it's all connected. Yeah, it's great. So so Tom says, I'm not a hippie who likes threesomes. He's clearly not a hippie, (laughs) Tom. No, (laughs) no. And in the, in the, you know, I just love the shot, the editing of this scene, you know, the close-ups, the, the quick shots to their faces as the, it went back and forth, I mean, he was wavering as his voice was wavering, his lips, yet he was mad and vulnerable. Right. It's so she phony. Blushed. It's such the perfect mix of like seriousness and drama and humor. Like he had to find the right cove. She was like, dude, all these coves are the freaking same. Let's just stop here. 
He was fuming. He was not he was ready fuming. to do it yet. It was time, not no. location. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, when it all sort of came tumbling out, you know, she looked sort of, I mean, she knew he was bothered, but she looked surprised. She looked hurt. She looked flustered. And, you know, just to convey that, I think she blushed. Her, her eyes filled up with tears. I mean, I'm just watching her do this and the camera's going back and forth and they're having to have this moment on the beach. And I don't know, maybe I'm too outside of the scene, but I thought, God, that was good. No, it was, was good. It was great, man. So he's worried about getting being thrown out of the company, being thrown under the bus. And Shiv says, I'll talk to Logan. And Tom says, no, I'll talk to Logan. Right. And Jeannie, then he goes and eats his freaking chicken. What the hell was that? What, mm. What's the, the analogy escapes me? I think he's too scared to talk to him, but he has to show up like, you know, I'm going to, he has to show his, what's the word? You know, he's, that's how he's going to talk to him without words. So I'm just going to eat some food off your plate. So his there. machismo. His machismo that he kind of really doesn't have, but yet he's. He's fuming, you know, he's hurt, he's angry, he's fuming at Logan. I don't think he knows what to say because, like you said, he doesn't have the adult words because he is childlike. And so that's sort of a little kid thing to do. <laughs> do, right? you think, do you think the message, any type of, any degree or fraction of that message conveyed itself to Logan? Because Logan just looks at him like, what the fuck? <laughs> No, I don't think Logan cares, right? He's not even going to think about it like that. Maybe the way Shiv might now kind of, you know, I think she's seeing a new Tom. He's not afraid to do that, even though it's like, whoa, what the hell? She stood there and watched him do it. She was kind of standing behind him, and then they walked off together. Right. So to Logan, it just appeared to be some moment of insanity, but to Shiv, it appears to be like a a macho stand-up thing to do. It's it's kind of sort of an end cap to their, you know, awkward, awkward afternoon. And she doesn't know what's going to happen. She doesn't know. I don't think she knows if what's going to happen. But now she's now she's lost her killer instinct. I like that Tom has said his piece and put put if that's the end of this relationship, so be it. I'm putting my thoughts and feelings on the line. I like that. Right. No, it was good. It was good. It was very satisfying after watching him kind of pretend to be okay with it just to make her happy the whole season. And I and I love what Logan said. What the hell, you know? He said to her what, or somebody, what um what's he going to do next? Stick his cock into my potato salad? <laughs> right. That's what I mean. It's just to him, it's insanity. It's not bravado. It's just like right. craziness. But Shiv knows. So then Shiv goes right away with Logan. And so she's been, they've been talking. This is where I'm like, okay, Shiv and Logan have been talking about which one to go. And they've already discussed Kendall, right? When after Tom leaves and she joins him right away in the room and Logan's like, what the hell did he just do? And right. would he flip? Remember? Would he flip? Would Tom flip? Yeah, that's did- another thing Logan has to be worried about is whoever I skull I present, will they flip on me? Will they, right. Will they go to jail? Will they man up and go to jail like good fellas, or will they flip on me? And, um, yeah, so Shiv, this is where Shiv protects Tom, but at, she protects Tom as Logan's daughter. She plays the role as Logan's daughter 
really Logan's little girl even yeah little daughter yeah like like daddy daddy's girl please protect Tom I'm begging you yep I can't choose almost a Sophie's choice like here's Sophie's choice Shiv that's exactly what I wrote down he dangles it in front of her again he dangles the whole leadership thing right in front of her and I think he wants to see who she's going to choose and he and she won't she won't, and but then she does. She does choose Kendall. So that was part of his plan. I think so. I mean, ship. I just think he's always evaluating them, and I really do think that. I can't, Dad. You know, she just couldn't make the killer choice. She threw Kendall under the bus, not because he made better sense, but because she wanted to save Tom. Well, she chose by making by begging Logan to choose. I can't choose, but it's not Tom. I want you to pick. But please don't pick Tom. So that's a choice, but she didn't want to make it. She chose Kendall. She told him what her choice was. I can't choose, Dad, but please, not Tom. Yeah, so then she goes to Tom to tell him, and then essentially to Kendall to tell him, right? He's sitting there alone, and I think he must know. He's behind the sunglasses. He's got the headphones on. I think, I didn't know if I could tell. I I thought, did he, could you tell if he watched? See, she came up onto the deck. She looked at at Kendall the way a juror looks or, you know, kind of looks guiltily at him as though I voted, you know, to find you guilty in trial. You know, she just sort of had that look of, she looked at him but looked away. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, wouldn't wouldn't look at him, but there was enough of a glance that you saw her look at him and look away. And I couldn't tell if Kendall noticed, but I think he must have. And then because yeah. he watched her, he watched her go over to Tom. And you can read the interaction there. You can I, read. I think at this point I knew that Kendall knew it was him, but I don't think that I but I don't think he knows what he's gonna do about it yet. No, I don't either. I don't I think I think we both probably agree on when we when he decided. So they go through Let's some go. profound Let's... thoughts like Logan asks Kendall about Marsha. It's very literary. He says to Kendall, what yeah. what could you yeah. possibly kill that would make the sun rise again? Like what could you kill that you loved that would bring back something else that you loved? It was very profound. <laughs> It was almost like the sacrifice God was asking of Abraham, sort of, I thought. Kill your son. Let's see if you'll kill your son for the love of me. I don't know if you know that story, but. Right. Well, doesn't Logan actually make the direct analogy to some tribe that sacrificed children to bring so the sun would come up? Yes, he did. I didn't know exactly what that was. I was just sort of thinking, yes, I get that. I mean, I sort of get the the analogy or metaphor. I, I kind of took it biblically, too. You know, God asking Abraham to make the sacrifice, to try to make the sacrifice for the good of or for the love of or for the sun coming up. You know, sort of just that's sort of my sort of where I thought of it. You know, the sacrificing of the sun. Right. The but but in the him. Bible, God makes Abraham make that decision, but then doesn't go through with killing the... the Correct. So this is this is interesting, because this could very well be what Logan 
wants for Kendall. Sacrifice yourself, even though he knows he won't really have to be sacrificed. Well, I don't know if he knows that. Do you think? I don't know. I mean, I guess that's that's what makes the show so good and trying to have endless conversations about it. No, I don't think Logan, I don't think Kendall knows it. I think Logan knows it, though. I think Logan knows he can pull his ass out of the fire at the last minute. Kendall, I think, is a walking dead now at this point. He thinks, yeah, he no, thinks, but I, do you think do you think Logan is really counting on? Yeah, I'm going to get you at the last minute, or I hope I'm going to get you. But you might go to prison, so I hope you're not going to flip. I trust you. You know, I, I mean, do. he basically did say that. I think Logan thinks if Kendall comes through this the way I hope he does, which is stand up for his fucking self and fight back and kill kill somebody, even though that somebody is me. It'll, he's, he will have proved his mettle. Well, I do think that he came to that at the end. I'm not sure that that was his intent. I don't know. You're probably right. But in the end, at the end, yeah. I think absolutely he was thinking, there we go. I think there so. It is. I think he knew it going in. Because I'm going to go to my follow the money philosophy again, Jeannie. And that's okay, just yeah. look at the name of the show. It's Succession. Kendall... Logan's job or Logan's task in this whole project Mm -hmm. is to Mm -hmm. find who's going to succeed him. And he needs to put all these tests, all these people through all these tests. And Kendall is the best person to succeed him. I agree. Even after having essentially betrayed him now twice, he's the best leader for this company. Right. No, I agree. I agree. And I think he can. I think you can see why he betrayed him. Do you think his earlier betrayals in season one? Do you think the first vote of no confidence was motivated by concern or anger over over the um, title being yanked away from him at the eleventh hour initially? I mean, I know, I know he was concerned because then he had the stroke and everything, but. You know, he, he tried to go at it from that way, and then he tried to go at it via the takeover. How much of it was motivated by genuine concern for his dad and declining health, not wanting him to embarrass himself or the company, and how much was motivated by his feeling denied and angry? I think the first event in season one was kind of a deusic ex machina that was like a trial for this real thing it was like okay logan has this medical event like he might not be able to continue and if he's going to continue half-assed kendall says to himself and then eventually others this is my chance to step up and take the reins that are obviously going to fall into my hands at some point right and now this is that point and you know logan's not going to live forever so logan i think is happy the way he looks at let's go through all the end of this whole yeah yeah episode because at the end he smirks like oh, I got loved it he yeah he finally yeah. stood up to what I wanted him to do right um, I just I'm wondering when Kendall knew about his own plan is kind of mysterious because I think Logan has all the strings pulled the way he wants them well it's- I think Kendall thought about I mean I'm sure he was thinking about it right because he knew. He knew that he could easily be expendable when he told Shiv, I'm just worried what's going to happen when dad doesn't need me anymore. So he knew that, right? 
that his dad would jettison him without blinking, really. I mean, he knew that was a possibility. So coming onto the trip with everybody, knowing that you got to have a head and it's got to be a big one, he had to have been thinking about it. Right. But I think when he decided was when Logan, when he asked Logan, do you think I could have done it? And Logan was so cavalier and said, what? Done what? Right? No. Oh, well. No, you know, I don't, you know, you're just not a killer. You need to be a killer and you're not you a killer. You need to be a killer. And I think that's when, and when he kissed him on the cheek, that was it. That was the betrayal right there. I think that's, I think that's the line that triggers in Kendall's mind, I can be a killer and I will be a killer. It wasn't Naomi getting thrown off the boat. It wasn't the visit to the kitchen and the British family. It was that line that you need to be. That's what I think, too. Here's your chance to stand up and prove yourself to me, son. You're not a killer, and you need to be a killer. And this is what, here's what I, I listened to a couple other conversations about it. And people, some people think that when Logan, you know, Kendall said, I deserve it. You know, in some ways, I really do deserve it. You, you know, naming me and throwing me off. I deserve it for the boy, everything I've done. And Logan is like, no, you don't deserve it. There was no real person involved. It was nothing. He just sort of blew it off. He didn't say, you better, you know, I'm going to, he didn't threaten him again. He sort of just acted like it was no big deal. And, right. and, and I think the conversation was at that moment, people think, I, I don't, this doesn't ring true to me, that Kendall finally broke through and thought, you're right, that was no big deal. Okay, now I'm going to turn killer. I think, I don't think that had really had anything to do with it. I think he just, at that moment where his dad, do you think I could do it? And his dad's like, well, do what? That was the first insult. You know, like, come on. And then, oh, do that? Well, like, like he'd never thought about it, right? Well, no, I mean, you're just really not a killer. And I just think that's when it all sort of just coalesced. I really don't think it had anything to do with the kid. Right. Uh, yeah, you're right. I, it's not an act of penance like I deserve it. He, he does it to please his father. He it kills off his father to please him, to prove to him that he's a real, the man he thought he could be. And I just think he was angry, too. Like, I just think he'd had enough. You know how you just sort of snap? And, you know, yeah, I can be a killer. And everything he said about his dad at the presser was accurate. <laughs> you know? So Logan announces this decision to the team. And Roman is really saddened by this. He's really worried about Kendall. And sad that he's not the co, you know, not the partner anymore with him in the family. By the way, it was funny. No, right. It was yep. funny too in two hundred nine, Jeannie, when Kendall was testifying. His title was Co C O O, and it came across as Cuckoo Co Cuckoo, <laughs> <laughs> literally written on his name in front of him. I didn't notice that. I, I have to be more attentive. That's great. <laughs> yep. But Roman's oh. saddened. But Carl and Greg just wonder if there are going to be more sprinkles. Is it just Kendall, or maybe more sprinkles? So right. freaking funny. So, and then sort of Kendall, now Kendall smiles, I wrote down, you know, he, he says, Roman is going to be the solo COO at dinner. Kendall's going, Kendall's like, it's okay. But he looks at Greg and he says to everyone, but he has a moment with Greg where he says, eat up. 
this one's on me. He says to everyone there at the table, remember? Right. And then they sort of did the whole back of the head shot, the whole view down the table from behind Logan's head. And then Greg and Kendall are getting, leaving off on the helicopter together. Why do Greg and Kendall leave together? Well, two reasons, maybe. Number one, and I think they, Kendall, this is where I'm a little confused. You know, either A, well, no, clearly Logan has sent Greg with Kendall to, quote, make sure he doesn't do something, hurt himself or whatever, right? Because remember when they got on the plane, this is what confuses me, (laughs) right? The timing of all this, like when did they talk, Greg and Kendall? You know, I'm thinking Kendall is at the dinner table now. He's kissed his dad in the room where he's been told, okay, he's decided he's kissed his dad, the Judas kiss, and he leaves. Now they're at the table. He's got this quiet calm about him. He knows what he's going to do. He smiles at everybody. He looks at Greg. There's a shot. He looks at Greg and then he says, eat up. This one's on me. And then the back of the table shot. And then the next scene is they're getting into the helicopter together. So I thought they could have talked, you know, in the interim between before dinner, because Greg, Greg might have been waiting to see if he was going to be a sprinkle, right? On anybody else's grave, (laughs) grave. And maybe he went right away to Kendall to say, hey, you know, I've got these papers. He had to have told him at some point. I've got these papers. Greg isn't stupid. Greg acts stupid, but he's always acted in his own self-interest. But Greg is free and clear at this point. Kendall is the sacrificial skull. Greg's not not going to be a sprinkle. That's pretty clear. And I don't see it as clear that Logan would send Greg with Kendall to watch over him. Greg's a flake. Well, because he did send Greg with Kendall... When they went, it was in season season one or two. They went somewhere, and Greg was sent. Logan asked Greg, keep an eye on him. Make sure he doesn't kill himself, basically, or OD. OD. Hmm. It was an OD situation. So it was, I think it was last year. Yeah, he did send him. Well, that's important. That's a good catch because I never rem- I don't remember that ever happening. Yeah, he was sent bachelor party weekend. Bachelor party in Prague. Greg was sent by Logan to go along and to keep Kendall alive because he was using again. And okay. so, yes. So when they said that, when, when they got onto the plane and Greg says to Kendall, well, I'm going to, and how do you feel? How are you feeling? You know, are you okay? Not like that, but just, he was just asking, you know, like, wow, oh my God. And I, if I go to the bathroom, can I go to the bathroom? And Kendall says, yeah, dude, go. Don't worry. I'm not going to hurt myself here. Oh, Remember yeah, that? that's huge. That's a great yeah. recall. By the way, for some reason, I just remembered Austerlitz is the name of Connor's Ranch. I don't know why that popped into my head. Austerlitz, right? <laughs> yeah. Yes, I knew One of Napoleon's victories or con- exactly. conquers. Right. Um, so, it's just confused. I don't, I don't know. Think- I don't think they have the plan until they're on the plane, though, and I think that's where Greg reveals the papers. It has to be because I thought 
I thought, ooh, it was at dinner. They might have talked before dinner. But then when they got on the plane and Greg said that and Kendall said that, like, don't worry, I'm not going to hurt myself. I thought, okay, no, they did not talk. Clearly they didn't talk yet. So, yeah, you're right. It had, had to have been after that. So you're right. You, that What you just described there with Greg watching over Kendall makes a lot of sense. But why does Greg say, I'm not going to hurt myself when he goes to the... No, Kendall says to Greg... Greg asks if he can use the bathroom on the airplane. It's the two of them sitting there. And Kendall kind of says, yeah, yeah, dude. Don't, yeah, he's back there. Don't worry. I'm not going to. So you're right. So Greg is watching over Kendall on a suicide watch almost. I think so. Just keeping him there. And then, um, then when they get off, you know, they're dressed for the presser. Boom. They look sharp. They got their business suits on, both of them. Right. They get off. They're met by, um, Kendall's assistant, right. the woman, and I thought, okay, does she know? I couldn't tell, but then, yeah, later it was revealed. when The look on her face when he launched into his attack, no, she didn't know either. So it was just him and Greg. Yeah. That was such an awesome holy shit moment. Wasn't the it but, great? But, <laughs> and he rips, he rips his father. My I father's a malignant that. presence, a bully and a liar who knew of all these events. Today is the day his day rent, his reign ends. And he really does, you know, for for as beaten down as he is, and his affect is so sad and so wounded. He really steps right up when he has to, every time. Yeah, he's a vicious leader. He's a, he's a good leader. He is. He is. He will kill whoever he needs to kill to keep his army in on top. And finally, I think his dad knows it. And, you know, Shiv, Shiv is, yep, she can forget about it. You know, she sits down on the couch to watch it with him, and Logan says it had to be done. And she says, poor bastard, about Kendall, you know? Right, well, Logan's totally smiling in approval of this act of Kendall. I think he was surprised, don't you? Yeah, he totally approves. It was pretty great. (laughs) Just that ever so like, well, there you go. Look at my number one boy now. So it'll be interesting, Jeannie. By the way, this has been really fun. I'm glad you talked me into watching this show. Um, and that is the end of season two. 210 is over. They won't add another freaking 211 like the affair added a 511. Did they? <laughs> they added another episode on top of number 10 this year. You know what, Mike? I'm sure that they were listening to your podcast. Oh, Jesus. Because they just couldn't, you know, I'm behind on that. I'm two episodes behind. I've just, the last couple of weeks have been busy, but um, that's hilarious. <laughs> I'm waiting for a knock on the door from Sarah Trina's <laughs> law team, like with a cease and desist. Oh, <laughs> I can't wait to listen. Um, it was just crazy. But anyway, yeah, so that's was... the end of 210. So season three, I heard, is more than a year away. I hear it's the summer end of, well, maybe not now. It's October. But like the summer, end of summer 2020. Yeah. it. I think it aired June of 2018. And then it came back. When did it come back? July? It's been on for 10 weeks. So, Yeah. Yeah, you talked me yeah, into starting to watch it at like two oh four. I didn't even start season two. I had to go back and rewatch season one or watch season one and then catch up. Well, I think you and everybody else, you know, I think it really just exploded in season two. How to show on TV, obviously. 
and um, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, thanks for doing it with me. It's really fun. I think we did a pretty good job for putting it together mid-season. Mid-season. I'll 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 be better next season with all my wonderful insightful commentary. <laughs> oh, you're fine. You're doing great, man. It's all fun. Right. It's all fun. We don't have like It is fun. We love the show. That's all that counts. We don't have advertisers or anything that we have to answer to. It's just for it's just fan fanboy stuff, fangirl stuff. Well, I enjoy I enjoy listening to you anyway, so. All right. If you well, love the show, you know, I just can't, you know, I just like to delve into staying with it a little bit longer, you know, just kind of thinking about it some more and then you forget about it and you move on to the next. What are you going to do next? Well, I think, um, I think better call Saul's coming up soon. I think that's the next West coast project one, but if you have any more thoughts about succession, we can do a season two after show. If anything profound comes up or if people come up and write to us or anything, we can bat around a few more comments, all of our listeners, but I would love to, um, you know, it's fun to talk about some of the other podcasts that are out there that we listen to, like the professional ones, mm-hmm. you know, like the Vanity Fair one. If you haven't heard it, I thought it was really excellent. She really, Joanna Robinson, really delved into the meaning of the title, the poem that he took the title from. And I believe that it was also referenced in season one's finale, maybe the title episode of the finale of season one, you know, so this poem, this is not for tears. She, she really talks a lot about it. I thought it was really excellent. She's just got a really great literary kind of take on the whole season that I really yeah, especially you know, don't, enjoy. Don't give her any godly credit though. Cause she, I mean, that's her job now. So it's her job to spend all day researching and understand looking. and we yeah. do other things. And, you know, I remember Joanna Robinson was a, she was work, working at a bookstore when I first heard her, heard her on podcasts and she was really? like writing, she was writing a blog about shows. She liked, I think maybe game of Thrones or mad men or something. But she was just a girl working in a bookstore writing blogs, and she got a job at Vanity Fair because she's really good at expressing herself. She is. You know, she she's very not good. like a – and I guess she's an English major. She said, made some comment about her English major. Did so you she, listen to the last one? I just thought this last one to me was especially – I was just sort of just interested in this last – I listened to all of their – podcasts, obviously, but this last one really, she just really just liked her take on it. But um, so there's hope for me yet. Is that what you're saying? No, I just like, I mean, you don't have to be, a, you don't have to be a Norman Mailer to do a freaking podcast. Right. I really like her too. I'm not trying to say she's not good because I really, I've listened to her with David Chen and on, on Breaking Bad and on Game of Thrones. And she's really good at what she does, but if you like the show, if you love the show and you really like do a little bit of research and have like a decent take, anybody can do a podcast, I think. No, I totally agree because I listen to a lot that are, you know, not professional, et cetera. Like you. I mean, I've been listening to you and Michelle for how many years? I've listened to um, The Americans, Fargo and The Affair. And so for at least a couple, three years. I just re- I just reposted right before tonight, our podcast tonight. It's on um West Coast Project. I think it was Michelle and I's first podcast. It was about Wendy on Breaking Bad. Because we just watched, we just kind of made comments about um, El Camino. 
the movie, the Breaking Bad movie. Oh, I didn't watch it yet. You can watch it on Netflix. It's free. I know it. I know. I will watch it. I want to. I got two affair episodes and El Camino to watch, but I wanted to just get through this succession first. Yeah. And then I'll be able to to watch that. But okay, I'll li- totally listen to that. I'm looking forward to it. So the affair sounds like it's continuing on to frustrate you, which I. Um, greatly anticipate listening. No, to it that. got really good this last episode. It was like they pulled everything. No, that's horrible. Okay. It's freaking okay. terrible. All right, all right, okay. <laughs> because you know, just it's I, I laugh out loud. I'm driving along in the car, and um, you, oh, you just make me laugh because you're so right about all that. All right, Jeannie. Well, thanks for this great season two of Succession. And whenever three comes around, or if something else comes up, like I said, if you have more thoughts, we'll do an after show for season two. Yeah. Okay. That sounds good. Let's keep in touch. All right. Take care. Thanks, Mike. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.